Welcome to Keep the Game Beautiful podcast. Each week, I highlight incredible people who are doing amazing things in soccer, the beautiful game. I'm Anna Turi, your host. Thank you for listening. Today with Stacey Wilson, we talk about her whole playing journey a lot and how she first found the game and how she first fell in love with the game. And then we also talk about ways she's staying involved now and kind of how she built up in the ranks. And that's always so interesting. It's such an interesting conversation to hear about and learn about. Each person's story is so different. They fell in love with the game in a different way. They continue to stay involved in a different way. And it's so intriguing to hear about what people are doing. Almost every single one of my guests have stayed involved in the game in some way, shape, or form, either coaching or refing or finding a way to play or just being a fan and follower of the game. I know when I get older and I can no longer play, I'm going to do whatever I can to stay involved with the game in some way. Today with Stacy, we also talked about the mental side of the game and how important that is, along with handling pressure. I know as a goalkeeper, I feel like I have a lot of pressure on me sometimes, but I don't handle it in the best ways. So this is definitely a great conversation for anyone to listen to that struggles with a lot of pressure on them. I hope you enjoy the episode. Today's guest is Stacy Wilson. Stacy was an All-American in high school before going to play at University of North Carolina. While at North Carolina, her team won four ACC championships and three national championships. In her sophomore year, she earned the title of Co-National Player of the Year. She was on the U.S. Women's National Team and was on the team during the 1996 Summer Olympics, coming home with a gold medal. Now, Stacy is a strength and speed coach. She coaches the coaches club and has also coached collegiately. Stacy, I'm wondering if you'd like to add anything else or talk about what got you to where you are today. Uh, no, not any. add anything to that. You did a fantastic job on listing, um, you know, listing the things in my career. Um, but uh, what got me here today? Uh, great friends, uh, great coaches, and, you know, uh, a lot of attention to detail and hard work. Um, and of course, a strong support uh, from my family. On this podcast, I always start with the same three questions. First, what does the beautiful game mean to you? Oh, wow. I guess um, uh, the beautiful game means, to me, uh, expression. You know, the ability to to express oneself. Um, you know, uh, on the field, a lot of times is where a lot of people can get uh, feelings and emotions out, whether it be, you know, just... Uh, letting out joy, uh, getting out energy. Um, maybe it's, you know, tough things going on in life and you can get out any type of, uh, you know, um, for lack of a better word, uh, aggression that you might have. Um, so, so it's, it's uh, you know, as well down to the way that you express yourself with the ball, um, personality that you take on, um, you know, it gives, I think a lot of people these days are putting it in the terms of a voice, you know, it gives you your voice. So expression. What are actions or things you do to keep the game beautiful? Um, I guess I, I try to allow others to express themselves. You know, I try to, to, to help others experience that, uh, you know, what I think is beautiful about the game. And I guess that means trying to expose the game to, to more people, give more access. Um, those that have access, give them more confidence and skills within it. Um, and even helping, um, you know, that's, that goes on the playing side as well as the coaching side. But, you know, I really enjoy the grassroots part of, of, um, of what I do. How do you encourage others to keep the game beautiful? Uh, you know, I guess it's all about, um, you know, staying true to staying true to yourself. Uh, I encourage others to, uh, find their purpose, hopefully find a positive, good purpose, something, um, you know, that, that they're, uh, what a lot of people call, what's your why, you know, what's your reason? Why are you in the game? Um, or why, uh, we should all want to help other people. So maybe how. So, um, you know, you can 
keep the game beautiful in a variety of ways and contributing to other people's experience. Can you start off by talking about how you first got involved with the game? Mm. Yeah, I guess uh, it was more uh, just randomly, um, I guess you could say either um, organically. Uh, I, I grew up and I grew up in an area where they didn't really play a ton of soccer. And when I moved to the area where they did, you know, a suburb uh, of DC, uh, that's where I picked it up during recess. It was really popular and um, I knew I loved it. Asked my mom to sign me up for a team. And yeah, that was the only sport that I did organized uh, uh, as a youth. What was your recruitment process like to UNC? Oh, wow. Um, Well, things were a lot different back then. Like, um, you know, coaches wrote letters. And um, back then you actually went on um, your, your, your trips, uh, your, your trips. uh, You have like five trips that you can go on uh, paid recruiting trips. Yeah. Sorry. It's such a, uh, uh, not common term anymore. I forgot it. Uh, but yeah, like you, and you actually like checked out schools because you really, they didn't make contact to you until, uh, your, you know, junior year. That's when they called you. Um, so with UNC, that was back then, like I said, with things being different, ODP was super, uh, that was really the recruiting pathway back then. That was a great way for coaches to ID that had pretty much the collection of best, best players back then. So Anson had seen me play there. Other coaches had seen me play. Um, you know, so when it was time to, to uh, you know, where they could reach out, um, you know, I think he did call on day one. And I guess that is a little bit cute of a story because, um, you know, I, was, I, I remember I was going to the pool. I was going to go hang out. You know, we had our neighborhood uh you know our neighborhood pool and I was going there and I think I was probably two blocks away from my home and my mom uh, I heard my mom yell for me (laughs) you know like you know Stacy you know and she you know she was excited because uh, she was like uh you know uh, I could hear my mom two blocks away (laughs) and so you know I was like huh (laughs) she said that Anson was on the phone so you know I turned around and went back walked back home and talked to him so, um, yeah, I'd done a lot of ODP to where uh, I felt, you know, like I was going to get recruited, but there was still a little bit of nervousness as to whether I really would. So, so yeah, I was excited. Um, yeah, I had a, a, a couple of different um, schools that I was looking at. Um, but overall, you know, for me, uh, Anson said that he recruited me more like um, he did males or, you know, because he coached both uh, at UNC. And I guess uh, at the time he said, you know, I was pretty simple to recruit where I was just interested more in um, the amount of money and amount of playing time. That's it. That's really all that I asked about. May have, you know, of course, asked about the school, but. I guess uh, a lot of people ask how the team gets along and all of these other questions. And maybe I was just, uh, I don't know if it's as much that I have a male personality or maybe I just knew some of the players beforehand and felt comfortable that the team got along. You know what I mean? But who knows? (laughs) Though times have changed, like you mentioned, what advice would you give a player that wants to play at the highest level now? Uh, like highest level, you mean, uh, what do you, I mean, because to some people, yeah. What do you mean by highest level? Um, let's start off. What advice would you give to someone in their recruitment process? Maybe wanting to play D1. Um, well, D1, I would, I would recommend definitely, uh, knowing just finding the school, targeting your school, not just being out there and, and, uh, wanting people to come pick you up and being open to anything. No, target target schools, and that's fine to cast a big net at first. And then from there, yeah, you want to find out 
um, uh, more about, you do want to find out a little bit about the dynamics of a team. Um, you want to find out what the coach's history and playing style. Um, and then from there, that can tell you whether or not that school's a fit for you. You know, like I said, obviously you're going to go with, um, you need to also note that that's a school that you like other than soccer. Um, you know, I liked UNC for so many other reasons other than soccer. So, um, you know, you need to make sure that's intact. But to the degree where now you're trying to attract those coaches, you know, there is a, a process to it where you want to get on their radar. So it's uh, planning your communications, planning what tournaments or how you're going to uh, send them videos. Uh, all of that has to be really deliberate, how you communicate with them. And you have to give yourself time as well. Um, you know, that hard work part of it, the earlier you come into it, obviously, I believe you can, you know, if maybe a coach has a certain physical uh, requirement or a speed of play, you know, you can develop that. So, um, you know, that's also a part of it, too, is giving yourself a chance to uh, be seen, have them uh, maybe, you know, say, hey, can you tweak this? And then you go ahead and tweak it. So it's all about the hard work and the really persistence with the process it's it's um you know it's it's not just being out there and and waiting for uh someone to come to you can you talk a little bit I was looking back at a twitter thread about a broken nose during your time at UNC can you talk a little bit about what happened (laughs) um Yes, yes, a broken nose. Yeah, at UNC. Yeah, that was uh, actually I broke it a couple of times during my time there. Um, uh, but the second time it was more of just a fracture, more of a rebreak. Um, first time was the real deal, and that one, uh, that was kind of, uh, that was funny at the time because it was in the middle of a national championship game. So we'd made it all the way to the finals and we were going against at our time, our, uh, you know, arch enemy, uh, Notre Dame. And um, yeah, I was marking a forward and I, yeah, I was a defender at the time. And it was pretty much like center of the field uh, or, or, you know, in terms of middle, but further back on our, towards our defensive half. And the ball was flighted up in the air and I went to jump for it. She went to jump for it. And she went to flick it on because I was behind her. And, you know, I get to brag and say I jumped higher and <laughs> I, I got the ball. And she was probably a good, you know, six to eight inches taller than me. But with that came, you know, on the flick, her uh, head hit my nose as she, uh, you know, jerked back to try to uh, get the ball. And, yeah, there was just a crack and down I went. Um, so, yeah, I came off the field and yeah, that was, uh, I remember like having a towel and, 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 you know, kind of like, uh, you know, I was normally kind of tough back then. So I never cried or anything like that. Um, but then, yeah, I blew my nose and I just saw, you know, I felt the crack, heard the crack. I blew my nose, whole ton of blood. And, uh, you know, I cried for a moment and, uh, as I'm like starting to cry, uh, Anson comes over and he's like, uh, so can you go back in the game? And I was like, yes. Uh-huh. And I like, you know, put it down and, you know, went back, uh, went back in the game and, and, you know, it was perfect. I, 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 he came at the perfect time because like, I just started to cry and he helped me like snap right back into it. So, you know, um, a lot of people, uh, um, you know, get he uh, a lot. He has a, a really biting style, and I, I really liked it as a player. So, like I said, I think one of the other girls on the bench told me later on that she'd heard uh, uh, another person say, Anson, you know, she doesn't have to go back in the game. And he said, like, damn, it's just a broken nose, you know. And I, 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 I like that. I like that attitude that he took. Because, yeah, it really was just a broken nose. Um, and, yeah, it was a great game. It was a great game. I was really surprised that one of my teammates remembered that. So, yeah. 
during that time when you were injured, I know for me, sometimes I get hurt and my game is just kind of off after that. Were you able to reset and just go back out and have an amazing game again? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, he came at the right time. Like I didn't lose it. Like I really, I just like, I was just about to panic just because I saw my blood, you know? And so, um, that game, it was no problem. It's a national championship. It wasn't, you know, it was just a broken nose. It wasn't like a lower body limb or something that I needed to run. So, uh, yeah. Um, you know, I'd say probably though, later on in my career, a tough injury to come back from was a hip injury, you know, so that, uh, but that's more of more of a long-term thing I'd say in the, the game in terms of getting mental composure, uh, yeah, I was good in the heat of the moment. So that, that really wasn't an issue. You know, always had great teammates with me. So, you know, if I was down for a second, I can, could get a little energy from them, bounce right back. Do you have any other favorite standout memories from your time at UNC? Um, I mean, there's so many. I'm guessing you mean like uh, on, the, on the field. Um, so, yeah, with that, I would just say uh, with the, a couple of times where, you know, we've come back, probably the, uh, I, I remember probably the first time where I really like, you know, like, uh, you know, that back then they called it like a dynasty and it was just kind of like this, this tradition, this spirit, you know, where you just pull through and you just dig and um, yeah, you know, and that was, I guess we had a game where that really hit home because it was during the tournament, the NCAA tournament. So we really could have been knocked out. And, um, you know, we were down one to zero with about 10, 12 minutes left against our rival, uh, the um, NC State. And they had some like just fantastic players. And somehow we came back and, you know, didn't even take it into overtime, like came back in the game. And, you know, I was a freshman uh, at that point, and that was just unbelievable to me. I'd never played on a team that didn't give up that much. You know, like they played to the end, like most teams would have, you know, that I'd played on up to that point. You know, probably most teams, like I said, the quote unquote momentum was against us, you know, had every reason to uh, kind of stop believing. So. Yeah, that, 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 yeah. <laughs> if you can't tell by the way I rambled on, I really like, uh, that was the first time where I was like, oh, okay, I get it. So that was freshman year. I also want to quickly talk about balancing school and playing. Was this something hard for you to do? Um, no. For me, no, uh, you know, a little bit with the way that I was raised with my, uh, my mom being a teacher, my dad being, uh, you know, very, you know, he went to the army and then spent 30 years in his career. And so, uh, you know, that type of, it was a lot of, I guess you could say discipline, time management, um, uh, there. Um, and as well, when you have to the degree that they were strict and they made it known, like, you know, if your grades aren't well, then you're not going to play soccer. So, you know, it's kind of like, well, if I want to do that, well, then I'm more motivated to. Uh, so by having that at a young age, time management and, you know, that whole um, school versus soccer versus social, that really wasn't a hard balance, you know, because, you know, I knew, well, if something has to push comes to shove, social is going to come out. And that's just the way it's going to be. You know, there's this thing called delayed, uh, delayed gratification and sacrifice. And you do that for things that are important to you. So, you know what I mean? So at times where that wasn't, you know, uh, an issue. And then, you know, the, uh, the other two, uh, like I said, I was able to balance it. And fortunately, uh, I was had, I was at a pretty good high school and obviously UNC has uh, great athlete resources. So, um, you know, as with a lot of things in life, it's a, about taking, taking advantage of your resources.
or having positive ones around you. What advice would you give an athlete trying to work on their time management or trying to balance school and sports better? Uh, trying to work on time management or um, I guess that would be uh, things like, well, finding out where you're losing time, <laughs> you know, I guess a, a SWOT analysis there. So uh, right there, I, I do believe in, uh, you know, some people are strengthening your strengths and with my background, I guess, in, uh, you know, strength and conditioning and fitness, you know, I believe, you know, because in that area, you're all about uh, improving weaknesses, you know, improving weaknesses will make you a better athlete. Um, so, so yeah, so um, I guess uh, finding, you know, what you can, uh, what's costing you time. So things that, you know, I might think of right now are uh, because I just did a new, uh, nutrition presentation, you know, how you plan your meals and plan your day. Um, something like, uh, with the time management, um, you know, that, yeah, it, uh, yeah, I guess I'm just, just, just planning. Uh, and, and I guess really, uh, if you're having a hard time prioritizing, really connecting to your values, connecting to what's important to you in the future, uh, what your goals are. And, and really trying to focus on that and, uh, you know, have the long-term and short-term goals that help you get there. You know, it's, 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 it's tough, but it's possible if you put the effort towards it. When you began to get to the top of your game, did you set goals for yourself or were you just trying to be the best you you could be? Uh, um, now when you say, uh, she's, I played for so long that, you know, there are different, different parts of my career where I might've done one versus the other. Um, I think for the most part though, I was always trying to be the best that I could be. Um, you know, always trying to, like I said, uh, improve my weaknesses, um, leave no stone unturned in terms of, uh, physical preparation. Um, you know, I gained a lot of confidence off the knowing that I was ready. So it was just, you know, being, you know, I, I actually, you know, they did have a statistics chart in the, in the room. Um, so every practice, everything was charted, your one V ones, your this, your that, your shots. And some people came in the room and they went straight to that and they wanted to know where they stood. And, me, my personality, I thought those people were weird and focused on totally the wrong things. And, you know, like, I don't need a sheet to, to like, you know, to tell me if I did well or not. Like, I know if I'm kicking ass on the field or not, you know, it doesn't matter if I came in, you know, like, I, I, I know that I don't have to go to that sheet. I know if I had a great practice, I can, it's just all there. So I just want me to be the best that I can be. Um, but, but, you know, so I was, but some people, you know, need the statistics to help them perform and, uh, but in soccer, no, I was just trying to be the best that I could be, which, you know, you have to be careful as well, because uh, you have to know when to, to balance that as well, uh, to not be hard on yourself, um, you know, because if you're too hard on yourself, that can get in the way of your self-belief. So that's where you know, sometimes maybe it would be good to look because maybe at times I was saying, hey, I didn't do great, even though if I had looked at the stats, I was number two. <laughs> you follow me? So um, it's, it's all about, you know, balance of the two, really. After a player is too hard on themselves, what should they do to recover from that self-deprecation? Mm. Uh, well, don't be hard on themselves about being hard on themselves. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's a joke. Uh, <laughs> no, um, but, but to, I mean, you, to, to if you, you can always, I mean, you just instantly reverse it. Once you've recognized self-awareness is really the key. Um, it's, it's having 
part of that is being aware if you are the type of person that can be hard of yourself. Uh, once you make yourself aware, you know, once, once you know that you have that tendency, then making sure that you have the skill set uh, within you. Okay, when this happens, you know, there are these maybe these things that you say to yourself to remind yourself of why, whatever, you know, hey, I'm just, you know, this is going on or whatever. Um, but, but usually there is, uh, uh, you can have a, um, a mistake ritual and the ritual is unique to the person. Since we're kind of on the mental side of the game right now, can you talk a little bit about how important the mental side was to you throughout your full playing journey? Mm. Um, <clears throat> I would say it was critical. Uh, the, the mental side, um, for me, I was always, uh, even when I was younger, younger and I was playing, other people would, I guess I always had kind of a, a, a tenacity about my play. Uh, I didn't mind, um, you know, slide tackling. I just sacrificed the body, that type of thing. So, um, you know, even when I was younger, uh, people would come up to me and say, hey, would you uh, uh, talk, talk to my daughter? Because, she, you know, she, you know, like she needs she needs to see someone like that. Like she's motivated. Um, you know, her coach doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't, um, doesn't think that she can, you know, doesn't really encourage her. They more favor the, the other players, the bigger players. So, um, you know, that was always kind of within me kind of to, 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 to play that type of game. Along with pressure how did you handle pressure while playing at such a high level um I mean uh, a lot of times my family my family was was really key um and I think uh there was a point I kind of discovered sports psychology around around my you know sophomore year of high school uh, like I said, um, you know, back then I had a lot going on and I think that, uh, you know, I was, you know, when I talk about sports as being an expression of, uh, sometimes what you're going through, you know, that was a place where, uh, back then I was, uh, usually, you know, I was in a, in the suburb. I was one of the only black kids. I was the only black kid on the team, um, you know, and, and, and going to being bused to a school far away. And, you know, it was just, and I'd moved out of being out of a neighborhood where I was like, uh, you know, all black neighborhood to where I was one of the only, so that was a uh, kind of tough, but soccer was a place where, um, you know, I was able to, uh, to get along, but also it was still in some ways a continuation. So, the point with that is that I was always having to um, be mentally tough, whether it was uh, on the field within competition, because I think to some degree there was a level where I was trying to prove myself. Um, you know, I was always trying to prove myself in the classroom. And so I was trying to prove myself on the field too. Um, and so, you know, I, you know, I had to be, I had to be tough. I couldn't show, uh, you know, at the time I felt like I was, uh, representing. And so just, I guess, a sense of duty, a sense of purpose. Uh, like I said, whenever you're doing something and it becomes tough, you know, connect it to your, your purpose and your values. And so, um, yeah, the mental toughness was, was key. I actually, when I was, um, uh, in Virginia or the Virginia DC hall of fame, uh, one of my coaches and he was a ODP coach and he was being inducted there as a coach and I was being inducted as a player. And so he said that, you know, so that he was going through his list of players and he kept his notes for like the past 30 years. And um, uh, he had said, Oh, you know, you, you were tough. You were real tough. And I was like, yeah, I would, 
I would slide tackle. I would, and he goes, no, you know, he was like, no, I mean, mentally tough, like not physically. And I was like, ah, you know, I didn't, that, that was really enlightening. So, you know, I, I think that that's something that, you know, I prided myself to some degree. And, and so, you know, with that, yeah, like I said, knowing what to focus on, that's where uh, a lot of times I will talk to players and talk to them about it's, it's crazy how people just focus on so many things and it makes them lose their confidence and lose their ability to be mentally tough. So, um, yeah. And obviously then going in North Carolina, uh, playing for Anson and, and within that program that sharpened it because they're, you know, there were some parts that still needed to be, you know, refined some ways where can compete with more, with more heart or with more, I don't know, integrity. So more lessons that were learned. You mentioned a little bit being one of the only black people in your community. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about some of the problems you faced as a black athlete. So can you touch on that a little bit? Well, um, I'm really old, so there are so many that <laughs> we don't have, no, um, uh, but yeah, there, I mean, I, things are, it's, it's great to hear the, the stories coming out, um, that, that players are able to talk about right now. Um, yeah, there are definitely stories from back when I played, um, and some of them are just being, retold now by other players you know I might hear players talking about uh the difficulty of being the only player either on their team or when they traveled or in the tournament or um you know there's obviously the politics that go into playing at different levels uh and yeah say back then stereotypes and things like that were perhaps a little bit greater or like I said, right now, at least we're going through a unique uh, moment in time where things are being more recognized openly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so, so uh, we're things that if people were, you were to say the same thing that's being welcomed right now, five years, 10 years, definitely 20 years ago, you would be a troublemaker for saying that. So it, um, if that makes any sense. Um, so. Yeah. What are some of the things that we can do to help black athletes from feeling separated or from having these hurtful words told to them? Hmm. Uh, well, uh, it's, it's multifaceted in terms of athletes. Uh, you know, it would be, I, you know, just can keep, keep trying to, you know, this, the advocacy allyship, um, I guess campaign is stronger than ever. Um, and it's, it's good to see that. So, uh, you know, I think that players are getting support for their, for their project. Uh, you know, you have different issues. Like I said, there's issues of representation issues, uh, in coaching, um, so uh, there's, you know, and, and there's really uh, where, where my focus goes to a lot is a lot of the grassroots issues, because a lot of times with um, the representation and certain issues, those are, those are out there and those, uh, but the people that aren't getting seen and, and are, are being underserved are, you know, um, I like to make sure that they're uh, also, and sometimes in these campaigns, you know, I, I tend to look and I say, okay, okay, I, you know, I see a lot of motivation, but I really want to see the work, you know, I, I want to see people uplifted or, or, um, yeah, I, I don't want to get too deep here because it's just such, uh, it's, 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 it's like 10, you know, you can do weekly podcasts on this, this topic here. One thing you've mentioned or kind of talked a, lot, a little bit about today is that you were never the biggest player on the field. As a smaller player, how did you intimidate other players? 
Um, never really tried to intimidate other players. So, uh, so yeah, I think um, just I uh, had I had a, a physique. I I've looked at a couple of other players. You know, I think it was uh, a saw a YouTube and it had Crystal Dunn on it, and she was talking about how you know she had a muscular physique when she was younger, you know, she couldn't help it, you know, she was, uh, you know, and yeah, that was me. Like I had, uh, my, yeah, my, 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 uh, relatives, like, you know, aunts and uncles, they were accusing my parents of having me, uh, like weightlifting when I was like six years old. Like I swear to God, they were like, no, Pat, Tom, we know you got her lifting, you know, like they just, so, you know, that was the joke, you know? So, um, so that right there. And, uh, yeah, it was, like I said, I always had something to prove. So, um, yeah, I took the game very, that one V one competition, very personal. <laughs> so I think it's just that mentality that came through. It was never anything deliberate. What can a smaller player do to up their game and stay in level with everyone else? Oh, they can um, well understand what their strengths and weaknesses are. You know, again, uh, the, the, you have the players and and under, And I say that uh, you know you want to be a balanced athlete, and you want to recognize that again, being small, um, power. Uh, you know, you have some small power, small players that are extremely powerful that is more uh, um, a function of speed, you know? Um, and that has nothing to do with, uh, you don't have to be six foot tall or, or you know, X amount of pounds um, to have an impact. So a lot of the game, a lot of game speed is really uh, perception and how you react. Um, so, so right there, you know, like I said, the easiest example is, is, is Messi, um, who, uh, dominates on a game with, uh, big, huge men. Um, so yeah, with, with smaller players, it's, it's, you get, you can do anything just again, like I said, uh, decide what, what skill you are targeting and, uh, what you need to improve to make you a well-rounded player because it, it, whether it's vertical leaping or, you know, quickness or um, something other than that. But, yeah, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. So, I think we can quickly touch on your background with strength and, con- strength and conditioning here. What mm-hmm. are some of the perks of strength and conditioning? Um, biggest, well, they're... Uh, perhaps the biggest perk all around why it's used uh, all over the world is injury prevention. Um, You know, strength and conditioning is not what most people think of when they think uh, strength or strength. They think of bodybuilding and they think of oversized muscles and joints that lack flexibility um, and the right amount of um, tensile properties to, to, to function for soccer. Right. Um, so strength and conditioning, uh, you know, first and foremost, prevent injuries. If you're properly conditioned, you're not going to get those typical preseason injuries or during maybe a, a tournament or a time where there's a little bit more, um, more action. You know, you're not going to get these overuse injuries if you've properly done your strength and conditioning going into it. And a part of strength and conditioning is understanding the recovery aspects as well. So, um, you know, the second part with that, like your strength, it's going to give you a better performance. Um, it'll always give you a little more confidence and that confidence will, it can translate to a better performance. Um, yeah, that's, it's, uh, it, you know, when done correctly, it can be a huge, uh, key advantage, competitive advantage. I think sometimes you hear that women or anyone in general don't want to lift because they're afraid of looking too buff. What would you tell them in terms of this? 
Yeah, like I said, most people don't understand what strength and conditioning is, and they've only had these uh, bodybuilding magazines that you see in the grocery aisle. Um, and those, you know, so these tend to not be, uh, these tend to, to show fitness and strength in ways that just aren't, um, you know, that's, that's totally off. And then some of the other uh, others that maybe aren't showing out, outright bodybuilding, they're just promoting a lot of myths and, and, and um, myths and, and uh, uh, um, things that aren't true <laughs> that, that uh, you know, th that promote uh, st certain stereotypes that, that aren't true to, to, to fitness. So, um, you know, once you have, I'd say, you know, I've worked with a lot of female athletes and once I've done work with them and they understand how you can, uh, you know, certain things that, you know, there's uh, strengthening your, your hips, your stabilizers, your, your core. And when you actually do some of these functional programs, um, and especially if you can do them at a young age, there's, um, you can, uh, that's, that's where I'd say uh, the fitness people, um, you know, make sure you're on the right program. If they're afraid of getting big, it's because they are, don't have the right understanding or of, of fitness or they're, unfortunately, a lot of times you might have a, a coach of uh, an American football program who, you know, because it's a small school or a high school or something, they have that coach doing the strength and conditioning for all of the programs. And so we're doing, uh, you know, programs for a different sport. So, you know, God bless that coach that they're trying to help, but they are giving us a bad program. So that's, that's, um, yeah, your strength and conditioning when done correctly can really prolong your career. Um, and also, uh, enhance the quality of it. Before we wrap up, can you talk a little bit about how you got called up to the national team? Oh, wow. Oh, sheesh, you're making me really dig into the memory there. Uh, I believe, I believe, like I said, ODP was a pretty big deal back then. Uh, so they had these interregional tournaments and they only happen once or twice a year. There was an interregional tournament. So that means the best players from region one versus region two versus region three, four. And they did it for, I think, U16s and U19s. And right after the ODP tournament, there was going to be a national team camp. So it was like a really big deal that the national team coach was there at this youth, at the youth tournament, um, you know, because he was, I guess, recruiting for his college as well as, uh, at the back then you could do both. <laughs> that wasn't an issue. Um, so, uh, but he was scouting for the camp for the week ahead. So they were going to allow, uh, I think it was two players, you know, they were going to pick two players from the ODP to stay for the extra week. So that was my first time, you know, I happened to play, you know, play, play well enough to be invited to stay that extra week. Yeah. I was like really excited. <laughs> When you went to your first camp, did you feel at all intimidated or was it just like a normal practice to you? Uh, I think it was, uh, it definitely was not just a normal practice to me. No way, no way at all. Um, and, and again, intimidated, I wouldn't say I ever felt intimidated. <laughs> uh, now nervous, you know, nervous. That's different than intimidated to me uh, in, um, so I would say I was probably extremely nervous and, uh, but no, I was really curious at that, you know, kind of, you know, back then I was young and, uh, just was, was, uh, just extremely optimistic. <laughs> um, I don't think though that I do think, um, that that first camp, you know, it was, uh, I, I didn't go in there. Let's say I didn't go in there and like kill it. Oh, 
you know, just because I felt great and I thought I was going to do well. No, I know, like, I was, like, looking like a youngster in the camp. How should a player deal with their pregame nerves? Uh, have your have your routine, uh, you know, have your routine or ritual, to, you know, and within that routine, you should make sure that it doesn't include, like, um, superstition, you know, Nothing. A routine can basically be modified. Nothing has to happen, you know, and if it doesn't happen, so that means you're, you know, whether that's, again, just taking out outright superstitions, but it also means, well, okay, what if this happens? You know, what if we were supposed to, uh, you know, supposed to warm up for this amount of here, whatever, but, you know, this got disrupted. So, you know, so how do I regain my composure? You know, um, uh, I am, uh, I, I love, uh, yoga <laughs> just because it helps you to, uh, do different breathing and, and, you know, I've done a lot of meditation and yoga. And I think that just, you know, I don't, I won't say I do a ton of it right now. I, I'd say I more meditate when I work out, you know, that's more, it's, it's very internal, personal time. Um, but the point of the yoga and meditation is, is that I do think that breathing techniques and just being able to, uh, you know, a lot of times they're teaching you to be in the moment and to not, you know, to let go of whatever, you know, anxiety about the future or, or, or worry. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say, uh, just, you know, if you've gone into the game, if you've taken care of everything that you need to do, you going into that game confident, you know, you've, um, then that's, you, you know, you can only control what you can control. So at that point, it's just having your routine, you know, and, and being able to, to keep your composure, you know. I have one final question, which I ask every guest. What mm -hmm. do you hope people remember about your impact to soccer and the world? <laughs> uh, impact to soccer and the world. Interesting. Um, I guess, you know, because I get to do what, you know, do soccer for a living, you know, and that's what a lot of people switch careers because they find that what they were doing wasn't fitting, you know, fitting their their soul so fortunately for me you know I did go into uh go into um soccer and there's a, a great synergy I've always like I said kind of get it from from my parents uh you know mom especially wanting to be a, a helper uh wanting to teach so you know, it's, it's, it's trying to, to bring what, what I've been blessed to learn and receive through the game. Uh, I, you know, I, it really means a lot to me right now. I feel like I'm, or I hope that I'm just scratching the surface in terms of uh, reaching more females, um, not just from underserved communities in the U.S., but I've really enjoyed the trips where I've gone overseas to different countries in Africa and places down in the Caribbean. And I'd say I went on my first trip to Jamaica about in 1999. Our W League team went there on a tour and it was for the purpose of helping their island, you know, promote women's soccer. So they put together these all-star teams and the person that brought us down there, you know, he was just really wanting to bring women's soccer to Jamaica. He was a, a native. Um, so, you know, we went down there, you know, to, to, uh, to raise awareness of the game, to promote the game. And then I'd say uh, about 15 years later, I'm at a clinic and um, working with one of the players who ended up making the uh, Jamaican women's national team. And she's now a coach there. And, and so, you know, so the, the person that brought us, uh, you know, down there, uh, you know, he, he was always saying how he loved that 
you know, cause I've, I've been coaching for a long time and I stopped playing uh, a while back, you know, and he would always say he loved that. You know, he looked at that as a positive because most people, you know, want to extend the playing career. And he, and he was just always excited about the fact that I stopped playing because he saw it. Now, finally, you can make an impact on all these, you know, like, I want you to spend your time making an impact on all these girls. Do you realize how many females need to see you and, you know, that type of spirit. So, you know, to the degree right now, like I, you know, I might stay fit and try to keep myself sharp, but I'm not doing it because I like have any interest in uh, playing personally myself or self-promoting. I really want to be a, a, a good role model and to share the game, you know, give back through the game. So, so yeah, my purpose in the world uh, in that sense is, is directly, you know, I, I try to link it as much as possible with what I do in soccer. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Thank you. You really are a delight. And, uh, you know, um, I'm grateful to be on your podcast. And, uh, you know, you are inspiring a bunch of people. And I look forward to watching you in many years to come. And I'll be saying, oh, I knew her. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I loved hearing some of the old stories and old memories from all these different games from Stacy today. It's always so interesting what players remember from a certain time in their life that was maybe seems like so long ago. Of course, I also love talking about strength and conditioning. That's always such a fun conversation to talk about some of the stereotypes and women being quote unquote buff or too buff and they don't want to start lifting or conditioning or staying fit. Another really interesting conversation was when we talked about being aggressive as a smaller player, I am a 5-2 goalkeeper, so fate isn't really on my side with this one, but it's so interesting to learn about how I can stay aggressive because that is definitely advice I'm going to need to take in this coming high school season. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and until next time, remember to keep the game beautiful. Beautiful.